Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hello everyone, Tara Williams here with The Mom Manual. I have a amazing episode for you guys. Jordan Dooley, you probably know her from Instagram. She is a big personality with an amazing story, doing a podcast, two times best-selling author. Jordan's doing all the things with a two-month and seven-month-old. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. What an intro. <laughs> I know. I I, that, I'm like, that's insane to hear. I'm yeah. still processing. <laughs> yes. I, I, so I said, well, what are the ages? Wait, two and seven months. So we'll definitely get into that. But if anybody's watching on YouTube, we'll put this on YouTube. Jordan had a mic issue. And so I, for some reason, decided I was going to go into my closet. So I don't know why we're doing that, but here we are. That's <laughs> All right, Jordan, jump in. And I'd love to kind of go back to the beginning with your infertility journey. Do you want to jump into when, you know, you and your husband first got married and started kind of thinking about kids and, and just bring us through how you got from there to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you the spark notes because it's a long story, but my husband and I got married in 2016 and we spent the first couple of years building businesses and doing all the things, traveling, you know, thinking, oh, we'll just, you know, I actually, we originally talked about having kids, trying to have kids two years after getting married and my business had taken off. I was working. I was like so passionate about what I was doing and I wasn't in a hurry. I got married pretty young, early in my twenties. And my husband at the three-year mark or two and a half year mark, he's like, Hey, like, you know how we had talked about having kids around two years? Like you haven't even like addressed that. Like, can we talk about that? And it was interesting that he brought it up and I was like, Oh, and I kind of, I was a little nervous. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but that was kind of what sparked the, we should probably be thinking about this. So anyway, flash forward in 2019, toward the end of 2019, kind of just opened the door. I was like, maybe we'll just see what happens. And got pregnant pretty quickly at the end of 2019, but then very quickly lost that pregnancy around eight weeks and was kind of shocked. You know, I think the first time you think you get pregnant, you're like, especially if you're like a pretty healthy individual or think you're a healthy individual, it's kind of jarring. You're like, that doesn't happen to me. I thought it happened. I know it happens to other people. And, you know, I didn't really know what that experience was like beforehand. I had heard about it. It's common. It happens. But when it happens to you, it's kind of traumatic in various ways, especially when it's your very first pregnancy, because then it just sets you up for this, like, now it's scary. You know, now it's not just like, yay, pregnant. You know, you just have all this like yeah. new level of anxiety that you already have, but they just like quadruple. So that was my first pregnancy experience early 2020 in January. We found out we lost the baby. Yeah. And then three or four months later, got pregnant again um, in March. And it was interesting because I remember thinking, wow, how cool would it be if I had a baby like a year from now? Like I was in January, lost yeah. the baby. And I thought, what if in a year from now we had a baby? Like, what a full circle moment. Like, that would be. A rainbow baby. Yeah. And was due with the rainbow baby, like, exactly a year later, December of that following year. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is going to happen, you know? And I carried longer. I actually carried it right to the end of the first trimester into the second trimester. We got to that, like, you know, coveted 12, 13, 14 week mark. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is going to happen. We actually were doing bi-weekly scans to really just make sure things were progressing beautifully. They were, had no signs of anything wrong. And then at my 13 and a half ish week scan went in for kind of one final check before I made my public announcement and there was no heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, 
what? Like we were just so shocked because everything seemed like it was going well. You don't expect it to happen twice. You know, it just, when it starts to happen again, because again, the doctors are like, you're young, you're healthy. It was probably a fluke, you know? So you think it's a fluke. And then when suddenly you start to think this might not be a fluke. How old were you at this time? I was 26 at the time. So super so, young. Yeah. That was kind of, for me, I was like, well, and that was what the doctors were saying. You're young, you're healthy, you're, you'll yeah. be fine. But then when it happened again, I was like, something's off. Yeah. Right. So anyway, um, and that one was difficult in terms of recovery. I mean, emotionally, they're all difficult, but that one was really jarring because I didn't see it coming. The first one, I definitely had signs of something's wrong, but it was emotionally jarring and it was physically really difficult recovery wise. I had an incomplete DNC, which no one talks about, but basically I had a DNC and didn't recover properly because they didn't get everything. So then I had to like go through this healing process again, two weeks later, it was just kind of traumatic and scary. My body started lactating. I mean, like literally it was like kind of like a postpartum experience without a baby. Right. So that was something else. And after that, I was like, you know what? I think I need a minute. Like I was just like, that was a lot in six to seven months to process. Uh My body had gone through a lot. So we took a year off and I started doing some investigating, started making some lifestyle changes, started kind of just digging into how can I better support my body? Is it my body? Like, how do we get answers? Started working with functional doctors, exploring, you know, different routes to do some testing because typically they don't even suggest testing until you've had three, which I think is wild. So I kind of pushed back on that quite a bit and started exploring what could be going on while also just taking a mind and brain break because I just wasn't expecting to have double loss and all that happen. Prepping for this podcast, I I said I have four children and I I have not had a loss. So for me, this is not a world like I have ever experienced. But I can tell you, like it has happened to my best friends, my sisters. Like it is so common. I mean, at this point, what it's like one in four women have one in four pregnancies. One in four so pregnancies. Probably more like every two, like fifty yeah. percent. And I think that's a big thing that I love. Jordan, that you and, you know, other people with a social influencer are shining a light on it because in the past it had not been talked about. It had been almost like the shameful thing. Is it me? Is it my husband? Like, I don't want to tell people. And then I think we're all suffering isolated, but did they have a reason for you? Like, a, I'm trying to think of even what it would be, you know, like, like your cervix couldn't hold the baby or did they have any like explanation with a potential solution? At first, no. Like, I felt like every doctor was telling me, you're young, you're healthy, it'll happen. And I'm like, well, I'm not trying to do what I just did twice, like 10 more times. Like, I don't want to just like wing it. And I think that's what's so messed up about, and this is just like another, like aside. But in that moment, I was like, you know, I think this is what's kind of backwards about some of our women's health in general, because they'll do an annual pap smear to be preventative. But when you want to have a child, you're like, give it a whirl, see what happens instead of let's check your thyroid levels and maybe just see where your hormones are at. And maybe some basic, that's even less invasive than a pap smear is doing some blood work, you know? And the fact that that's not a standard across the board is wild to me. And I just wish we could change that. But no, at the time I literally got no answers. Like, and and what was crazy is they told me to do the DNC partly because I was further along, but also because they said we can do genetic testing and see if there's a genetic issue going on. Got it then the lab messed up the test and I got no answers about that. So I was like, for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what that is, can you just give, if you're comfortable sharing that? So when you, if you have a miscarriage, a lot of times they can take the tissue that you pass the fetal tissue and they can test it to see, was there a chromosomal abnormality? Was Mm -hmm. there trisomy 18? Was there something that would have caused the baby not to develop properly, which is what 50% of miscarriages are caused by. So that's why a lot of doctors say, oh, it was probably a chromosomal fluke. Like it won't happen again, or it likely won't happen again. So when it happened twice, you know, that's still not a ton of times, but like twice in a row is, and especially at that 
point. Once you've seen a heartbeat in your past, like the 10 week mark, it's pretty unusual to have a loss. And if you are having a loss, there's usually something going on. So that's why they thought maybe it's chromosomal. And they wanted, then when we didn't get the answer on the fetal tissue, they actually did a blood test called karyotyping on both my husband and I to see if we had something called, it's like, um, Oh, I forgot the name of it now, but it's basically like a genetic imbalance. So it basically puts you at a higher risk. If you and your partner have this certain karyotype, it yeah. puts you at a higher risk of having chromosomal issues in your pregnancies. So right. you just are likely to have a genetic issue. So we came, we did that. Everything came back normal. Like we, I, so I started working with a lot of different types of doctors because I was like, I need to figure out what's going on. So we worked on, you know, testing my thyroid and my hormones. And we did see a couple clues. Like I found a couple things that were like, maybe that's contributing. We'll kind of address it. And one thing that I found is I had a genetic mutation called MTHFR. That's pretty common in the miscarriage world to kind of discover, as well as like, that's one of the main things that look, that we look into. Some doctors don't really acknowledge it, but a lot of more like holistic practitioners definitely do. My thyroid was a little sluggish. So they thought maybe in pregnancy, your thyroid struggling to keep up. So there was a couple clues and we were like, well, we'll treat those in the next pregnancy for MTHFR. We'll kind of do some blood thinners because that can increase your risk of clotting and a clot basically clotting off the placenta and causing a loss. Mm -hmm. So they said, we'll put you on some like low dose blood thinners and we'll support your thyroid with some naturally desiccated thyroid hormone. I was like, great, this is a great plan. But at that point it had been, I had spent a year like trying to figure that stuff out. Sorry, not to interrupt you, but I'm just thinking like anyone who's listening that might be going through the same thing. When you said you met with a lot of doctors, so a functional medicine, like who else did you meet that, that somebody might want to uh, a functional doctor, I saw what's called a NAPRO doctor. So NAPRO technology is a, a kind of alternative approach to the IVF traditional fertility route. I think it's actually a bit like a Catholic thing, but the doctors are a little bit more holistically minded. They generally are like, okay, what are the root issues causing infertility here? So they'll look at, or recurrent miscarriage, which are kind of in the same family. So they'll look at, do you have endometriosis causing inflammation in your body? They're a little bit more aggressive on like progesterone support and thyroid support. A lot of things, most OBs are like, eh, it's borderline. It's fine. You know, whereas a NAPRO physician is usually a little bit more proactive in those ways. So oh. I saw a NAPRO doctor. I saw a functional doctor. Eventually I started seeing a fertility doctor, which I'll get to in a bit, like a general fertility doctor, OBGYN. I saw like a dietitian and a naturopath to work on like gut health. Cause I thought maybe that was affecting things. I mean, I was literally like pulling all the stops. I was trying all the things and oh, honestly, that was really beneficial to do for my overall health. And yeah. when I eventually did have a full-term pregnancy, it was really beneficial to have my body. Well, I'm like, I want to do all those things just yeah. because I'm like, I, I just turned 37. So I'm like, I'm now in my late thirties uh -huh. so looking for, you know, all the ways to stay young. Um, yeah. But it sounds like. I mean, the word that came into my mind was obsession, which I don't think is an appropriate word to say, but like you were on a mission, you were oh. on a mission. This was uh -huh. consuming your life. Like while you were taking the year off, like you weren't just sitting on a beach, drinking a pina colada, like you were doing the work. I was literally getting my PhD in all things, fertility, reproductive health, women's health, like all, all of that. I mean, cause at the same time I was also like reading books on like hormone balance and it's weird how like you dive so deep into whatever it is that's causing a struggle in your life, you've kind of become an expert at it, even if you don't have the letters by your name, you know? And so I was reading studies. I was in Facebook groups. I was reading books. I was listening to podcasts. I was meeting with doctors. Like I was doing all the things, right? And so we started trying again. And this is where the fertility doctor comes into place. So we'd always gotten pregnant quickly. The last two times it was always within the first couple of months. So it wasn't necessarily a fertility issue. It was a maintaining the pregnancy issue, but they kind of go hand in hand. So anyway, we started trying and nothing was happening. Like no. just yeah. month after month after month. And I was like, great. Now this is an issue too. Um, like, it was just like, are you kidding me? So 
six months went by, eight months went by, 10 months went by. And I was like, something is wrong. And I remember wondering, did that surgery I had that I had such a weird recovery from somehow like mess everything up? Like, did it talk on that surgery specifically? Like I know what a DNC means, but somebody listening may not. So DNC stands for dilation and cutterage, cutterage. I don't know how to pronounce it, but basically they, they, it's like the removal of a pregnancy loss or, or they can do it to remove a fibroid or whatever. It's, it's invasive, but it's not like, um, it's not like they cut through your abdomen. They just go through your vagina and your cervix and they remove whatever tissue is there, but they don't do it with a camera. And that's what I didn't know. So it's kind of like they're going in blind and they, you know, remove everything. And the risk of a DNC is that you can get scar tissue because they're scraping the walls of your uterine lining to get everything out. And they can't see. So that's what happened to me is they didn't get everything. They left some placenta in there because they didn't have a camera to check if everything was gone. I don't know. It has something to do with that's risky to put a scope in there for some reason. I don't know. So I ended up having to go through them like almost like a a miscarriage outside of the DNC two weeks later, trying to get the placenta out. So that is a risk that can happen. And that is, I just, I know a couple of people have gone through this. This is incredibly (laughs) traumatic is the word. Yeah. Yeah. Because you are effectively giving a birth, but to not a formed baby. So it's, it's a, it's a group of cells that was in the shape of a baby that you have to like literally birth and they almost like pull out of you. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience with the placenta. So anybody who's not pregnant you deliver yeah. a baby and then you have to deliver a placenta, which nobody talks about that. It is the mm-hmm. weirdest thing. And yeah. they are huge. Like it's like a big, big thing. But I I had that too. Like it a little bit broke off. So then they were like, oh, we didn't get it all. And they were like scraping and scratching. And then after, like, did they get like so I I think it might have been similar to that. Yeah, it's very risky to have retained placenta. It can cause infection in your body because it's basically like tissue that's no longer like needed for life. And so it kind of is like dead in there and it can yeah. cause issues. So that's what happened to me. I I thankfully didn't get an acute infection. Like I didn't have a scent, like basically my body recognized like, Hey, there's something else in here. We got to start getting it out. So I like, of course, hemorrhaged and had to go through this whole thing. My doctor had to give me medication to kind of cause it to come out. Thankfully it came out before there was any kind of like severe issues. However, what was really wild to me was then I, you know, and we waited a year. So a whole year had passed since then. Then we started trying again. We were coming up on the two year mark and nothing had happened. And I was like, you know, I was getting pregnant quickly. Then I had a pretty traumatic surgery that didn't go like typically, typically 99.9% of the time, a DNC, you bleed for a few days afterwards. And then you're like, there's not usually any complications. So I was in like the 0.1% that has complications. So that was kind of the back of my mind. So I went and saw a fertility doctor and they were like, well, let's see if there's any scar tissue in there. We'll do what's called an HSG. So that's where they basically put fluid. It's like a dye up and through your cervix and they can use an x-ray to see if it's flowing through your tubes, if, it, if the uterine cavity looks right, or if it looks funny. So based on that, it didn't look like I had any scar tissue or any like, like you look yeah. So I was like, okay, like what's going on? So that's where I dug even deeper into maybe I need to balance my hormones more and support my health and all these things which all I benefited from, but continued on that road at the same time, trying to figure out why am I not getting pregnant all of a sudden? And so, so I ended up actually going to a different fertility doctor recommended by a friend. And he made the comment, you know, sometimes infertility can be caused, it can be like hormonal, it can be structural, it can also be infectious. And I never heard anybody, I was like, what do you mean infectious? And he's like, well, like sometimes people have something called endometritis that can start forming in the lining of their uterus. It's like a low grade. He goes, you can have it acute where you have the fever, the, you know, all of the chills, all the things, yeah. or you have a chronic low grade version of that, where you don't really have the fever, the obvious symptoms, but there's this like inflammation of your uterine lining and it can make it difficult to get pregnant. And I was like, you're like, hold on now. Where did that come from? Yeah. And I said, well, if I had retained placenta from a surgery, 
Mm. Is it possible that that could have triggered a kind of a low grade chronic infection? He goes, absolutely. We need to do a, a biopsy. So I did a hysteroscopy and a biopsy. So they go on with a scope, they look around, look at the health, you know, take pictures of the health of your uterine lining. And they also biopsy like a little bit of the tissue. Well, the doctor who did it basically looked at all the photos and he was like, uh, I don't even care what the biopsy says. This is for sure a problem. Like it was all inflamed. It just didn't look right. There was like all these little polypy looking things, but they were not. So he's like, let's, he goes, let's just put you on antibiotic. He's like, I'm I'm sure this is, you know, endometritis. Let's just try to knock it out. Puts me on antibiotic. This at this feeling, point, how are you feeling at this point? Are you like, oh my gosh, I'm relieved we have an answer, or are you upset? Like, what's your um, emotional or kind of the, the process of grieving? Yeah, I was like kind of validated and also kind of like, well, I hope this actually is it because this is the only thing that would make sense. Like it was, it was a little bit of both, a little bit of relief, but also like, what if this is just another problem I have and there's still other problems, you know? So this at that at that point it had been a full year since we started trying. So we're at the basically almost the two year mark from the time we I had my last pregnancy loss, and it had been over two years since I'd gotten pregnant. And so he put me on an antibiotic. Of course, this is ironically when my second book came out, which was about like the waiting season, uncertainty, and finding contentment in it. Like I'm being challenged to live that out as I'm you know dealing with this. So puts me on the antibiotic. It's a two week course, and. I literally got pregnant immediately without even trying. Cause I was like, let's just try oh. after it comes out. Like, so wow. I ex- like accidentally got pregnant as soon as wow. the antibiotic was in my system, which was shocking. Found out on Mother's Day weekend after two, after two miscarriages and then two years of trying after the two miscarriages. So this long journey, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the miracle. Like it's Mother's Day weekend. Like look how redemptive. And it was like, we thought for sure this was it. Sorry, this is a long story. I'm trying to do spark notes, but um oh, no, anyway. no. this so, is and and as you're saying that, I'm like, yes, she got pregnant, but now I'm tracking in my mind that you your baby's only two months old. So yeah. this is not the one. Yeah. So then about two weeks later, started bleeding, went in, there was a heartbeat. So I had this with my first pregnancy too. I had what's called a subchorionic hematoma, which means there can be like a pocket of blood that forms and it's it can either heal and reabsorb into the body or it can like take over and cause the the baby or the like embryo to dislodge basically like the implantation gets like taken over by all the blood so I kept going back in for ultrasounds every couple days to like monitor things for a couple days baby had heartbeat but the bleed was still there it was still pretty big it was getting bigger um it had basically taken over my entire uterine cavity and then memorial day weekend I ended up, I like knew I miscarried. I was like, that was for sure. It. Like I, you know, I, once you've done it a couple of times, you're like, I'm pretty seasoned at this. I know what's going on. And is that this- like heavy, heavy bleeding or, um, you know, they make it sound like that, but it really is like you contract there's your cervix has to dilate to some degree, unless it's like super early, but if you're past like seven, seven or eight weeks, like there's a significant, like you can sometimes see the gestational sac. Like nobody talks about that. It's traumatic. I mean, you, it's like significant. It's like, that's not a heavy period. I don't have tissue coming out when I have a heavy period. So sometimes you can see a little placenta. I mean, it's pretty traumatic. Like I'm trying to be like as light as possible in it. I'm sure this is probably triggering. I'd probably put a trigger warning on the beginning of this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But it, it, it really is like a mini birth is what I'd call it. Like, I remember when I went in for actual labor with my son, I was like, oh, these contractions feel familiar. Like not the crazy ones, but when I was kind of, you know, First progressing, I was like, this isn't like, this isn't new, you know, like, and that's what I want to validate women with who go through, through this because 
it's made to be like, oh, you have some heavy bleeding. It's like, no, she's contracting. And it was so tough because there were so many people I love and like some people in my family who were literally, we found out on Mother's Day weekend together. We were due around the same time. Like there was just so many like beautiful little like things that make you think. But you felt it was, and you know, are you guys spiritual, religious? Like how does that tie into this? Yeah, you know, we love the Lord. And I feel like, you know, I struggled a lot with my walk with God personally and my faith, because I felt like there were so many things throughout the journey where I'm like, this is your chance to like flex your big muscle. And instead I feel like you're like kicking me right when it seems like the miracle, right? Like there was my second pregnancy when we had our beautiful, like 11 and a half week ultrasound, which is kind of that 12 week mark. Everything was great. We came home from that ultrasound. There was like a double rainbow over our, our backyard. And I was like, it's a sign, you know? And I think maybe I read into things a lot more than I probably should have, but you're you know, seeing signs like, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times where I'm like, I'm just mad at God. Like, I'm just mad. Like, why would you do this to me? So that was my, my struggle with it. But at the same time, it really stretched me and kind of, it, it was suffering also strengthens your, your faith in some ways, but it kind of tears it down first. My husband always says faith is like a muscle. It has to be broken down to be built back up stronger. And I think that's true. I think we can take it for granted, like just life in general, if it's always easy, but it sucked at the time and it really stretched me and, and made me go, what do I believe that like, I thought? Why, why, why me, why me, right. why are you doing this? And especially like when you had, I mean, the one year, it, it would be your first, your second, first and second loss, like being one year apart, like that seems so redemptive mother's day weekend. Like there's so yeah. many things that I think you could, you know, and, and, and I'm, I would say very religious and like, I think in faith, like these things either bring you closer or drive you away. And you're yes. like, God or whoever you believe higher, I'm angry at you or this or the universe or whatever. So you guys, you guys went more on the path of leaning into it and being angry, but it was like, we were angry. And there was definitely a, a time where I was like, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to listen to worship music. Like the things that I would normally do that were kind of like grounding to me and like help me grow. They were things I was kind of like, I literally remember saying, like I was praying one night and I was like, I don't want to pursue anything like faith wise, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to like do all these things. Cause I feel like I'm just checking a box. So you're just going to show me who you are and meet me where I'm at. Like if that's, and that was kind of what the journey looked like for a little while. And I think that was actually good because it wasn't me trying to fake it till I made it kind of thing. And it ultimately then I think helped make my, my faith journey more authentic. What do you feel like was your like source of strength through this whole process? Like what was the light at the end of the tunnel or what was keeping you going? It's a good question. I think there was something in me innately, like deeply that knew I'm meant to be a mother and I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know why it's happening this way. And maybe it won't look how I thought. And I've got to release my expectations, but I just know like, this isn't going to be something that stops me kind of thing. It was like, you know, I, I always say, and I wrote this in my second book, but like your greatest disappointments, whether it's fertility or miscarriage or, you know, a relationship not working out that, you know, you thought you were going to have a family or whatever, like those can either be dead ends or defining moments. And for me, I was like, this is going to be a defining moment. Damn it. <laughs> like that was kind of how I felt, you know, and I want it to really be pivotal in my journey, whether that's for motherhood, but also just as a person in general. So that was kind of what kept me going is like, this isn't going to be the dead end, even though there was times I really felt like a dead end, um, especially after the third, I was like, I've got nothing like I've exhausted. And then my third one was tough as we were treating some of the issues we found. I was on blood thinners. I was on thyroid medication. So I was like, and then they did genetic testing and we got answers from that one. And it was a genetically healthy baby girl. There was no genetic issues. So I'm like, there's still something going on in my body. How have I not figured it out? And that was things really started to turn the corner. So shortly before that pregnancy, I'd heard about something called reproductive immunology. And I want women to know about this so badly because I think it's 
it's just such a small field, but I had somebody tell me about it. There's five doctors in the whole country who practice this. So I got on one of their wait lists, just kind of when I wasn't getting pregnant. So I thought, well, maybe that has something to do with it. Reproductive immunology is the study of the immune system as it pertains to pregnancy and reproductive health. So anyway, worked with a doctor or like got on his wait list. As soon as I had that loss, I called him and I was like, Hey, something's still going on. Can like, when can I come in? As soon as I started my next cycle, they had me come in. I did a ton of testing. And for the first time I had actual answers. He was like, yeah, you've got like some blood clotting stuff. He's like, you've actually got a lot of blood clotting stuff that like a lot of other doctors don't test for. So we're going to treat that. And also your immune system is reacting to pregnancy as if you have, if you, as if you got an organ transplant, like it's rejecting it. Oh, okay. There, that, that's it. That's, that was a light bulb moment. Okay. Okay. And I have heard of that too. Yes. Yeah. How could no one find that before and like figure that out? Because, you know, and I had a functional doctor mention like this could be an immune related thing, but he didn't know what to do about it. It was, it's such a specialized thing to really, to be able to like manage the immune system in regards to pregnancy is such a specialized thing that he was like, it could be immune. There were a few little markers of certain tests that I had done that, that pointed to that maybe being a thing, but no doctor I worked with, like knew what to do that. In fact, the fertility doctor who was treating my third pregnancy with the blood thinners and things like that, when that one still went wrong, because there's like, there's like almost like a phase one and a phase two with pregnancy loss. Phase one is like the basic testing most OBs and fertility doctors do. And a lot of times they treat any kind of hormonal issue you have with like progesterone or thyroid issue or thyroid medication and, or they do blood thinners. Those are kind of like what they do to solve pregnancy loss for the most part. And if those don't work, they're like, we don't know. And that was kind of what he did. He was like, I'm out of what I can treat you with. I think you need to see a reproductive immunologist. A lot of fertility doctors don't even know what that is, or they don't even like recognize the legitimacy of it. So I was very thankful that my doctor suggested it. So that was kind of where I was like, I was past phase one. Like we did all the phase one things and there was, and this is true, not only for recurrent pregnancy loss, but also unexplained infertility and recurrent IVF failure. If somebody's having trouble with chemical pregnancies or an embryo won't implant over and over but the lining looks good on an ultrasound and things like that. A lot of times there's an immune immunological component where the body is like, get, get rid of it off of someone else's DNA. So it seems foreign to the body, which makes sense why the immune system. Oh, okay. Okay. So anyway, that's the long story short, but anyway, so all of that said, fast forward, got a lot of those answers at the same time throughout this whole journey, my husband and I had always talked about adoption. So there was like a fertility side of things going on, but at the same time, we knew we always wanted to adopt. So shortly after, I think it was like somewhat, I would say like two years into our journey, I kind of told my husband, I was like, you know, I think we should, if we've always wanted to adopt, let's not like wait till we're like at the end of our road fertility wise, if we don't have to, let's just treat both as plan A and just see what happens. Like, let's just like put our hands and be available to both and trust that whatever's supposed to happen will and not, not wait to like, you know, I didn't want adoption to be like the last ditch effort or anything like that. But at the same time, I wanted to, so I started the process. That's a lengthy process as well. That's not a quick, it was like a year long process just to kind of get everything going. So we were kind of doing that on the side in the midst of all the, like trying to get answers and fertility stuff. And I, I literally got to the point after our third loss, it was like last fall. I remember I got to the point where I was like, I may never actually birth a child. And the children I raised on earth might not be children. I, I birth and like, I kind of got to a place of like, and maybe I'm okay with that. Like, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. It would suck. Like, I'd love to have, you know, a biological child and experience that too. But like, I had to kind of go through like, what is it that I really desire? Is it that I desire to pass on my DNA or is it that I desire to mother, you know? And I, both of those things matter. But at the same time, I think it was really freeing for me to be like, I'm releasing this. Like, <laughs> I can't, I can't like force something to happen. And I have to just kind of trust whatever's supposed to happen will. And at the same time, I was still utilizing my resources. I was working with a reproductive immunologist, things like that. So anyway, long story short, right around the time I, I did the testing with the reproductive immunologist in the summer of 2022, 
we got the call that we matched with our son, with his birth mother. And that was shocking because he was, I mean, it wasn't even very far along in the pregnancy. So we were like, well, we're going to just hold this very loosely. We didn't tell anybody. Oh, oh so you, were, you, you found out you're pregnant and you we found, found out. out. No, we found out in July that we matched with our son via adoption, like through the agency, right. um, with our adopted son. And he was due in January. The crazy thing was, and this was the con- a big connection point with his birth mother is the baby I lost in, in May would have been due in January. So they had the same due date. Yeah. It was same due date, the exact same due date? Same due month. I didn't actually ever calculate my due date because after two or three losses, I was like, I don't even want to know because it just ruins a day. Like in general, general time frame. Yeah. 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 Same month, I think within like a week. So that was pretty like special. And what's wild about the whole thing was our first baby we lost, we lost in January. We lost the second baby in June. And then my third baby was due in January. And our first son that we had on earth was born in January. So that was crazy. Yeah. And then an adoption is not, and this is something I want to touch on too. And this is a whole nother conversation, but it's not like a cure to fertility issues. Like, it's not like a, Oh, we can't have babies. So let's go adopt. Cause I think that's what society kind of makes you feel like, like, Oh, like you, you can, can have a baby adoption. Option. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, we can't put that burden on adopted children to like cure this in like this, this hole in our, you know, life or heart. Like it has to be a separate calling in and of itself. So it's not like a backup plan for couples struggling with infertility. It's like, if you feel called to it and it's something you've felt like you're supposed to do, whether you're struggling with fertility or not, awesome, go do it. And that's something my husband and I always talked about when, since we were like, we're engaged before fertility. Oh, really? yeah. yeah. So that's why I was like, let's pursue this too, because we want to build our family and we felt called to this. It wasn't like a struggle to have a baby go it out. And not that there's anything wrong with doing that, but I think sometimes the approach to that can put like an undue burden on a child and also a pressure on a birth mother. Like her obligation is not to cure your infertility with her, with her crisis, you know? So there's a whole other conversation about that. But all of that said, it was kind of all unfolding at the same time. Shortly before he was born, found out we were pregnant again. And I was like, well, this always goes sideways. So like, I'm not very excited about it. I, I literally like got the positive test, crawled into bed with my husband. I was like, oh, I got a positive test. And he was like, okay. Okay. Like there was just no like, yay, you know? So anyway, all that, said, that, that like PTSD through that, like, you're just like, we can't yeah. as well. Yeah. So that time I was working with a reproductive immunologist and, um, we did some, he did some stuff to basically keep my immune system from attacking it or try to. And I had some like little scares in the beginning. The first trimester was very like uncertain for sure. So we just kind of like, didn't say a whole lot, just kind of let it play out. And then that pregnancy ended up working out. So we now have a seven month old and a two month old, um, at least at the time of recording this. So I was like, I just laughed. I was like, of course, like, you know, going back to the conversation we had on faith, I'm like, God really has a sense of humor. It's like, you prayed for this. Like, I'm going to make it most like wild thing where you have two, five, basically five, um, about six months apart. They're just under six months apart. So yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> okay. And I'm, I'm thinking about the, so your son is January, January. Yep. And then my, my second son was in June. He was actually due in July, but he joined us three weeks early, partly probably from my immune issues. Um, my body was just like, we're done. Like we're done. We, we, we did this as long as we could, but so yeah, January, so- January and June, they'll be in the same grade. Potentially. Yeah. And what, what I was mentioning earlier too, was we lost our second baby in June and then our son was born in June. So we lost babies or had them due in January and our first one was due, born in January. And then we lost the baby in June and then our second baby was born in June. So it's just like, you know, just, you see those full circle, but I had these like small, you know, going back to what you were asking, like, how did that affect your spiritual journey? It's like, I had these little ideas of what a full circle would be. I'm like, Oh, like having a baby one year later, or like, you know, when you try to write your own redemption story, it's never as good, you know? And we get so mad because it's like, that looked like such a good thing, you know, or that looked like such a sign. And then now I have 
two babies that are gonna be like best friends. You know, they're basically six months apart. And never in a million years would I have like written the story like that, you know, and all these little like in details that just like between the due dates and the birthdays and uh, it's just unreal. So anyway, that's the long story short of how we went from one thing to the other. (laughs) Yeah. And I, oh my gosh, your story, like I've been like holding back tears so many times in this story because it's just so, it's so positive and uplifting and like there's this ending that you want to cheer for. And mm-hmm. and I was talking to somebody on my team who's going through um, IVF right now. And I said, you know, I, prior to this call, we were prepping for the podcast. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about infertility because we've talked about it on the podcast before and I haven't had it. So it's like, not something I can relate to, but like, oh my gosh, anyone who was listening to this, this is like, it's just such a feel good. Like, I just want to be like, yes, you did thing. <laughs> so the next question is, will there be more children or do you guys feel complete now? You know, I really feel like this whole journey taught me not to make plans a whole lot because literally couldn't have planned this. I didn't plan to go through the journey I did. So I really feel like, you know, we'd love to have more kids. So we're open to that, but I'm also really content and thankful for the family we do have. So I feel like if it's supposed to be more, we'll be more than open to it, whether that's via adoption or biological, like our hands are kind of open to both, but we don't have like a plan of like, we need two more for our family to feel complete. Like our, our family will be complete when it doesn't happen anymore. It's kind of my, it's kind of my viewpoint. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this, Jordan. And like on the, I was thinking we could go into like how you're managing motherhood, but we have been talking for almost an hour. I'm so grateful for <laughs> you. Long story. <laughs> No, it was amazing. And I just, wow, this was such a powerful, amazing podcast. Thank you for being so honest and open. And for anyone who's listening, can you share like where to find you on Instagram and your books and like all the places? Yes, absolutely. So on Instagram, I'm Jordan Lee Dooley. um, And I share a lot of the like, just a lot more answers to the questions that are related to the stuff I talked about. Just a lot of people are like, what doctor did you work with? Or where do you find XYZ? Um, So a lot of that stuff is on there. And then my podcast is called She Podcast. That's where I share a lot of my wellness journey. You know, I I feel like the holistic wellness journey I went on in the process of all of this. um, I bring on a lot of experts who talk about hormone balancing and reproductive health and just overall like wellness from not, not like the fitness perspective, but just like a living well perspective. So she podcast is a podcast and then anything else books. Um, my first book's called own your every day. And the second one's embrace your almost. And those can be found anywhere books are sold, but yeah. I love it. And Jordan's podcast, you guys, you need to give it a listen. It says step into the woman you're about to become. It's just so, un- you are such an inspiration, Jordan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.